I want to, again, invite your attention to Matthew 24. This is a part in part two in this series of, our, of the glorious appearing. And I, I think you need to know this. I think you need to know this. Yes, you need to know that your life is grounded in the love of Christ. You need to know that. You need to know that there is an anchor that holds you that is deeper than your circumstances. You need that. And there's good news today. If you don't know that, you can. There is, there is, there is the evidence of, of, um, of all the things that you perhaps need in your own Christian walk. You need to be thoroughly established in the Scripture. You need to be established in your faith. You need to be established in your life in knowing that your life is more than the sum total or the blip of the circumstance you're going through right now or even the sum total of your circumstances. So as we look at Matthew 24, I'm going to remind you that this is the same Christ who taught the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. Jesus had entered Jerusalem that Sunday and he had cleaned out the temple on Tuesday. There was a clearing of temple and, and cleansing and Jesus was basically in, in that action was saying basically I'm the new temple. And on Wednesday, on Wednesday we find that Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's teaching his disciples. Now get the framework of what they were thinking. They were thinking that perhaps Jesus was going to come in and be a messianic figure that would be that would lead Jerusalem and and God's people into peace that he was going to usher in the kingdom of God and that he was going to he was going to be the messiah in the sense that he would be a political leader and they 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 had this in the framework of their thinking And by the time we get to Thursday evening, we find that Jesus is, is instituting the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, and then Friday's crucifixion, Sunday resurrection. All of this in one span of one week. Jesus teaches this privately to his disciples. And he makes a, he, he, makes a, he answers their question distinctly. And you can look at the scripture, and if you just look at it literally and how he said it, how he taught it, what you will find is that it makes a lot of sense. So that's what I want to look at today. And what you will find is that your news feed that comes over your phone or wherever you get your news, that this thing kind of reads like today. And, and this was given 2,000 years ago. This, this news feed reads like it is today. What Jesus does is gives us a parameter to understanding the times and seasons of life, the epics of time. And so the big question came, 
as we begin to look at um, as as we begin to look in in uh, in Matthew chapter twenty four. Let's look at this together. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples, and he came up showing them the buildings of the temple. And Jesus, Jesus said, do you see all these things? You get the picture. Assuredly, I say to you that not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now that got their attention. I mean, they were there to, to worship. It was, it, was, it was a holy week and a celebration of Passover and so Jesus comes out and says, look, you see that beautiful temple? He says, and he gave a prophecy. He says, the temple will be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. The temple was indeed destroyed, destroyed by Roman occupiers. And they destroyed a lot of the small villages, Jewish villages, and um, um, as well as destroyed... Um, as well as destroyed the temple, the place of worship, fulfilled. Some 30-some, 40-some close years later, that was fulfilled. And then Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone will be, you know, it's going to be thrown down. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, verse 3. The disciples came to him privately saying, and notice what they ask. Notice the, the, the nature of their question. Now let's look at this. Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And the sign of the end of the age? A question that People have speculated for years. People have speculated lifetimes of, of every generation. There is a speculation as to the time and the seasons. There is a speculation of the time that we're living in. And as, as you look at life and you look at the progression of time, one of the things that we do know is this, is that the coming of Christ is closer than it was yesterday. No man knows the day or the hour that Christ will come. But we do know that the Bible says just as there was a first coming and the prophets declared that there was a first coming, Jesus himself said that he would come again. So in my Bible, this is red letter. This is red letter. And Jesus is telling us the signs and the seasons, not of the rapture of the church, but of his second coming. Now, I'm going to explain that in just a second. So he says, what are these signs of, the, of, 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 of my coming? What, what are they going to be? Now, they ask him, and Jesus answered the question. This is not in, given in riddles. This is not given toward allegory. This is not given to some sort of figment or a Bible story or an illustration. Jesus teaches this pretty distinctly and pretty succinctly as you look at this. And so what we begin to see is this. The coming of Christ, Christ came. 
the first time he came in humbly. And just go ahead and put up the schematic that I gave you. That his first coming was coming in humility. And even the entrance of Jesus in Jerusalem, he didn't enter as a, as a military political leader. He entered in on a donkey. The crowds were yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knew that the cries of those who were, who were yelling, Hosanna, would eventually turn to crucify him. He knew that because he knew what was in the heart of men. Jesus' first coming was humble. He grew in every way, Luke the historian tells us, that he grew in every way imaginable. He grew up. And we find that Jesus was going here to the place of crucifixion and resurrection. That would encapsulize the meaning of the good news. That there would be an indeed a redeemer who would come and do more than set up a political kingdom, but a redeemer who would come and save men from the stronghold and the bondage of the evil one. The stronghold and the bondage of sin. He would indeed come in mercy and in power. He would indeed come to redeem and to buy back, to bring back, those who have been captive in the slave market of sin to the place of the cross and to the place of Christ and the place of glorious freedom. That's why we can lift the name of Jesus on high. Thank God and praise God for His mercy and an age of mercy. The Bible says that just as there is a first coming, there will be a second coming of Christ. And at the second coming of Christ, Jesus tells us what those signs will be. He says, he says, here's what you're going to look for. Now, before that, we looked at last week, the snatching away or the calling away of the church. What well, you begin to find out in the Bible is that, is that the church is going to be caught away some, sometime prior to uh, the, the tribulation, I believe, some time prior to the tribulation, the church will be caught up. And in the scripture, there's never a mention of the church going through judgment. Matter of fact, the scripture is pretty succinct and clear that the, the, those times, the, you know, be shortened for the elect's sake, for those who are in Christ. So then Jesus says that there's going to be the, his second coming with the church. And as we looked at last week, as the church is called away, there'll be an unfolding of seven years tribulation on the earth. All hell will break loose on the earth. Now, that's nothing to be scared about. I mean, this is the reality of the unfolding of history. You know, you know as you're a believer, I'm thinking, man, thank God that we live in an age of mercy and grace. Just like a parent wants a child to know, Jesus wants his disciples to know. He wants them to know. So he says that if you want to look at the signs of the second coming, here they are. He says here they are. Then Christ will come back with the church. So in the first, the church is caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord. And then Christ will come back with the church. 
And then he will come back again to the earth. But prior to that, there's going to be a growing escalation of tribulation on the earth that Jesus talks about. So, as we begin to look at this, look at, look at some of these signs that Jesus says to look for. Now, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, well, you know, this is the, this is the evening news. Yeah, it is. So we got first advent, second advent. Just as Jesus said and promised that there would be a first coming, the prophets did. Jesus also says that there's going to be a second coming. And what you find in this is that the world is not as out of control as you think. Is that there is a sovereign God who is on the throne and he's a good, good heavenly father who extends mercy and grace, thankfully. But he is also a God who brings judgment. He's God who is holy. And he's, he's the God who, who comes to bring the consummation of the end of the age to himself. Why? Because he who began the work will complete it. He's, he was the God of creation. So shouldn't it stand to reason that the consummation of all things that is in the sights of God himself? Certainly it is. So we begin to look here, and the first thing that he says in verse 4 is this. Jesus said this. He says, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now the first thing that just comes to my mind when I look at that verse is, man, you've got to be grounded in some truth not to be deceived. He says, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And, and, and he said, that is one of the earmark signs of the end of the age. Now, you say, well, we've always had that. We sure did. Matter of fact, early on in the Gospel of John, John was writing to groups that had um, basically had de- were denying the... the the incarnation or the fleshly entrance of Christ. They were called Gnostics. They believed that anything material, anything material, including the body, was evil. And so therefore they concluded that Jesus could not have, they denied the, the, um, the humanity of Christ. And, and you go throughout the three to four hundred years of church history and, and the establishment of like the Nicene Creed and the Athesian Creed, all of those, the first few hundred years of church history developed the the reality of of what an orthodox view of Christ, who he was. He was completely God, 100% God, and 100% man. And one of the the earmarked doctrines is is that of of Christ in his total humanity as well as total deity. He was totally God, totally man. And it took 400 years of church history. Why did it take 400 years of church history? Because there were groups that would come along. You had like the Gnostic Gospels that came on um, uh, many, many years later that had a different narrative to tell. And so throughout all the ages of time, you say, well, what's changed? Well, nothing really in, in that regard because in, in that regard there's always been false teaching and false religious leaders and people that draw crowds to themselves and who operate in the flesh and, and, and live for themselves and use religion. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. Well, how can you take heed that no one deceives you? You can take heed by being in his word. 
what we find out then before the coming of Christ there will be there will be an escalation there will those there that's the false teaching and false teachers and deception will grow more rampant in other words people will search for answers and there will be people that will come up and and say that they have the answer he says take heed take heed he said don't be deceived and the only way not to be deceived is to know the truth is to have a basis of truth a foundation of knowledge in 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 the bank of your mind and in your heart that will establish you in the faith so he says take heed he says he says take heed that nobody no one deceives you. Now, I want to tell you, there were many messiahs that were coming on the scene back in Jesus' day. And um, they had, had many claims, and they had many claims. Um, but what we find in Jesus is that he comes in direct fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. And he comes predicting the reality of his own death and his own resurrection. So if Jesus, And he did. And there's very few scholars that of any reputation at all that would doubt the of Jesus being a historical person. He came in history. In other words, he comes in time and he challenges us to grapple with the issue of his life and who he is and what he claimed. Now, so the first thing that you see is this, this issue of deception. This issue of deception. The second thing, well, let's look at this scripture in 1 John first. John deals with this. He's children of the last hour. You've heard the Antichrist is coming. Notice the small Antichrist. A, small A, Antichrist, small. In other words, it's somebody that's Antichrist or instead of Christ. So many, and so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us. They were not with us, not of us. Um, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. This is the Antichrist. And notice what he says. He, he defines it. He says, he who denies the Father and the Son. He says, in other words, there's going to be a lot of narratives out there in the last days that say, this is the way. That's the way. Over here's the way. A charismatic leader might be the way who claims to be the way, and, and so forth, or an organization may claim the way. But all of it has to fit through the rubrics of what? The reality of truth. So what I'm saying to you as a church today is that if there's ever a time to be established in the Word of God and to take your faith seriously, it is the day and hour that we're living in. You say, well, Greg, there's always been deceivers. Yes, there have. And what you find out is that the reality of that, and when the Bible talks about the last days, they believe they were living in the last days in that day. And many of them believe they were living in the last last days. We don't know the day or the hour. Matter of fact, it's one of the one of the earmarks of a truth is that no man knows the day or the hour. Somebody says they do, guess what? They're wrong. Right? Y'all don't know whether to say right or wrong, do you? <laughs> They're wrong. Jesus said he didn't know it. He, he, he said only, it was only the Father, and, and Jesus limited his knowledge. He was God in the flesh, but he limited his knowledge of that day or the hour. 
So the reality of it is nobody knows that they are there. People that think they do, and people have come up with so many schemes through the years. You know, I'm, I remember the, the last one in my, in my day and time was 88 reasons why Jesus would come back in 1988. Well, you're here. Right? You see what I'm saying? And, and there's groups that have, cha- have claimed this through the years. And the Bible basically warns against that. The Bible says, take heed, don't let men do what? Deceive you. Now, you, you, you can say, if you just live your faith, let me just say this. If you just kind of live your faith at, by the seat of your pants, you live from circumstance to circumstance, you just kind of float in on Sunday and float out and float in your life and float out. And, and I want to tell you, you're e- it is, it would be, you could become easy prey to be deceived. There has to be a root of seriousness in your life that, sit, that seriously says, and it takes more than just hearing a pastor on Sunday. Hallelujah, Greg. It takes more than hearing a message. But it, it takes a desire to want to know God, a desire that, that wants to be grounded in His truth, that when every wind and doctrine comes along, you just know the truth. And you say, well, that just doesn't fit in what, with what the Scripture says. You know, it's good to have people in your family that you can call and say, well, what do you think about this? I and mean, that's a great thing to have if you've got that. But you need more than that for just yourself. You need to become that. And sometimes we need to become that for our kids and our grandkids. But, and if you don't have that, where do they go? Okay, now I'm meddling now, I know. But let's, let's go on to the second one. He says deception is the first one. He says here's the second one. He says that there's going to be distress among nations. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and you will see, see that you're not troubled with these things. Must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There we go. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and, and there's threats of war. Now, does that sound like your news feed or what? Does it? Sure. I mean, I mean let me just say this. When you begin to look at the, if you were to write a book on the, um, or to look at a book on, on the history of, um, the history of conflict in the world, it began with Cain and Abel, right? And it just kind of spread out. And what you find out on the earth, even by Genesis chapter 6, you find that you find that there was such violence that filled the world, that there was conflicts everywhere. And people had a total disregard for the image of God in their neighbor. So there's violence and there's, there's, there's suffering and, and all of this. And God says, listen, I'm going to bring judgment. And he did. And it's recorded as a worldwide flood. And notice here, he says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that, notice here, he says, don't be troubled by this. You say, well, we're not anymore. We're all, really, we're more desensitized to it. Most of us, then, yeah, that's just another, just another thing. Most of us get all the bad news and because it comes up on my news feed. And, um, you know, and I'm thinking, Wow. You know, it's just, I'm just, you know, you can, well, there's another one. There's, there's another, there's another threat. There's, I mean, you know, you look at the beginning. No wonder we're, we are living in an age that's riddled with anxieties. 
No wonder. No wonder the reality of, of our day is, is when all the news feed that we have, we're getting this constant barrage of this. And Jesus said it's been that way uh, from, you know, since, the, since basically the fall of man the garden. It's never been God's intention. But it's been that way since the fall of man. There will be nation rising against nation. He says it, toward the end there will be a proliferation of that. It will be a worldwide kind of deal. And uh, he says don't be troubled by that. Kingdoms will be against kingdoms. There's going to be all of these threats of war. Why? Because what happens is conflict has a way of, of, of choosing sides and nations. And so therefore you, you have not only, not only uh, uh, conflicts within families, conflicts within communities, conflicts within kingdoms, conflicts within nations, and all of the world. Why? Because of sin. Because of the sin nature and power. So there's distress among the nations. Look at the third thing that he says. Are you encouraged yet? So you, you get on this, on this list and it's like, again, it's a reminder of your news feed. Here's the third one that we can, we can look at in this. And that is that there's disasters. There's increase in famines, national, national, natural disasters and earthquakes. Um, there's famines, natural disasters and earthquakes. I mean, there's fires, there's floods, there's, there's earthquakes, there's famines and pestilences because of rain, and there's, and there's famine and pestilences because there is no rain in places. There's, there is all kinds of things that would, could, could make you de- scare you to death, and, and, and there's harbingers of that, not in the religious world, but more in the, in the, in the secular world that says, hey, you've got to kind of... You know, realize that uh, that there's pestilences going on. You know how fragile human. So the more we learn, think about this. The more we learn about the fragile, na- the fragile human existence. Like there's viruses out there, and there's all kinds of. Th- are you getting scared? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's all these kind of things out there, and Jesus says, "Wait a minute, that's not going to have the final say." Did you hear me? Yeah, Teresa just didn't, wanted to encourage me last night, and she she sent me one on, um, um, you know, respiratory illnesses are, are, are up. You know, I'm like, well, that's you know, you know, <laughs> oh brother, you know. But I mean, you begin to read these things, and and you know, so you've got you've got, and we know so much now that we know too much. We just absolutely know too much. And you would think with all of our knowledge that it would bring us greater comfort. But it doesn't, does it? It creates more what? And you dwell on it a while and you'll get anxious about it. How do you know that? Because guess what, folks? I have to deal with it. So he said, he, said, he reminds us of the... So I'm not preaching this to, to, to exasperate your anxieties. I'm saying, I'm preaching this to say... God's got control of this. And his narrative is different. His narrative is different. So he says there's going to be this increase in famines, natural disasters, and earthquakes worldwide, period. And he said this will escalate, this will escalate up into the time of the coming of Christ. He said that's going to be the reality. Now we know the coming of Christ can be, or the, the rapture of the church, the Calling away can be at any point in time. He's saying, now these are the signs of the second coming. 
He said, these are going to be the signs. So what you begin to see, and, and this is entering into the time of tribulation on the earth. When you, begin, when you begin to see, he says, when you begin to see these things, he says, know that, are we living in tri- tribulation? No, 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 I don't think we are. I think that we begin to, to, to look, and look at all the reality of time and say, here's where it's heading. And God has the narrative. That's what I want you to see, is that our Lord has the narrative. What is it? What I mean by that? He has the storyline. He wrote it. He wrote it. God of grace and mercy and love that we just finished singing about. Loves. And he loves even through this period of time. He says, verse 7, it gets even more encouraging as you go through this. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead and put this one up. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation and kill you. Be hated among all nations for my name's sake. By the way, Tribute or, or uh, persecution of of Christians are is worldwide right now. It's not uncommon. They and they will be uh, and many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another, and false prophets will rise up and again deceive many. He's saying, you know, basically. Now this has been going on for a long time too. They were in it in the early church, and throughout all the remnant of human history, there's Christians have been there's been persecution and including today if you would go and probably talk to some christians worldwide you would think they they might even think that they're dealing with tribulation but that not like this that we see here he says so this this is this is going to be a part of the reality of as time progresses he says i don't want you to to be unaware of this. And notice here, and then many false prophets will rise up again. He's reiterating. When, he, when something is mentioned twice, he's saying, you better know what you're dealing with. He says, false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now here's the fourth thing. Look at the fourth thing. The fourth one is this. Not only is there a delivered up uh, for persecution, but the fourth thing is that there's a, a culture that is devoid of law and love. The natural, the natural affections of love and and of of a desire of order will will be gone. He says, because lawlessness will bound, the love of many will grow cold. And then he says, but he who endures the end, the same shall be saved. Now he's talking about tribulation saints here. During the tribulation period, they're going to be those who will face. There, it's going to be a horrendous time, and there will be people who will be saved in that and through that time period. They will hear the gospel. In other words, God's going to be merciful and gracious. And, and uh, they will hear the message of the gospel. Paul tells it to Timothy like this. He says, don't you know what it's going to be like? He says, as time progresses, and I want you to think about this. This is why the old line of, of, of liberalism just didn't work back in, in the day. Back, And I'm talking about the 20th century, early Christian theological liberalism uh, that said that it basically you educate men and you feed them and you do all kinds of, of good social deeds, then you're going to create a utopian kind of culture. And what we what we found out is that the issues of the heart and the issues of the sin nature goes deeper. You see, I need more than just to be fed physically. Now, it's important, obviously, and we share the gospel, and we do those kind of ministries here in our church, and we should do those, but there's more to it than that. 
There's more to it than, than, than that. There's more to it than education. You say, well, if we just educate people, then you can know you, what you have is an educated sinner that figures out how to be a rebel against God. I mean, that's what it matters. You see, only God can change the heart. Only Christ can take a heart of stone, a heart that is self-centered, a heart that is, that is, is, is driven toward their own destruction. Only Christ can take that and turn that heart and give you a heart of flesh and a heart of love. And he says it's going to be characteristic of the last day that it's going to be, there's going to be a time that there is, it's just going to be lacking in love. Now look at, look at 2 Timothy and just go ahead and go to that slide. You will know this, that the last day's perilous times will come. Men will be lovers themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, yes, religious, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Now, that's a a strong, strong warning Paul gives to, to Timothy. He's saying that if you want to know, Timothy, he says... You know, this is this is it. Now you say, well, man, that's Greg. This is not really a whole lot of encouraging news in it, is it? Well, it's encouraging in the sense to know that God is on the throne, and that, in as the epics of time and circumstances in our world change, you don't have to be shaken. You can know the truth, and the truth can set you free. As all these narratives are playing out in the world scene and and world, you say, well, wait a minute, let's just go to the truth of what does the Bible say. And, and, And Jesus taught this, and I'm reminding you, this is the same Jesus who would die for their sins and die that and and resurrect be resurrected from the dead and and who would ascend into heaven and and whom said that this same Jesus you saw leaving will come back in a glorious appearing and you will be made in his likeness. The shackles of your shame will fall off. Do you hear that, beloved? The shackles of your shame, your doubts, your fears. All the things that you, when with one glorious appearing of Jesus, you're going to do one great exhale. Oh, glory. And you're going to say, oh, that's it. Yeah, we've lived in a veil of sin and sorrow and death and suffering. And Jesus will appear. You're going to, it's going to be one of those great aha moments in the world. And I want to tell you, not everybody's going to be happy when they see Jesus coming. I'm telling you, matter of fact, the scripture says that many will mourn. They will blaspheme and curse God through the tribulation, even though the, the even as God brings judgments on this earth, they will they will they will look and they will they will blaspheme God who made them. Um and they will not repent and not turn to God. There will be some who will and many who won't. And when Jesus comes in one last bit of rebellion against God, shaking our fist against God, and yet God, you know, see, God loves us and gives us the freedom to trust. Why? Because without it, it's not really love.
Now let me ask you, where are you at? Do you know that you are saved? You see, here's what we see with an increasing spiritual darkness in our world. Let's go to the next one. All of this stuff of uncertainty intensifies on the earth. But the certainty of one thing draws near, and that is the coming of Christ. And the Bible says this about you, believer, and me. If you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, you will appear with Him one day in His glory. You're going to have a glorified body. Hallelujah, I'm needing one. Yeah, you know, I am. I'd like to have one with a little more hair. <laughs> so I get, a, I get an amen, brother. We'll, we'll form a committee. Um, you know, it's, but that is, that is your glorious future. Now, this is not, listen, this is the glorious future for the believer. So, so how, how should you listen to a message like this? Know that, know that your master, the one that you sang about who loves you, who's full of mercy, he still is full of mercy and grace. Know that you're in Christ. Know that you're saved. Know that you have trusted Him as Savior and Lord. Know that you're wanting to grow in Him and, and, and know Him. Because no man knows the day of the hour when God's going to call us all out of here. And if time goes on, you will certainly, as well as I certainly, if time goes on, as time goes on, we will certainly have to deal with death. This is the reality of life. So I'm just asking you where, where you, where are you at in your relationship with God? Now, I've got to close. I've got to close. I, I want to give you, understand the time and the seasons. Understand that. No man knows the day or the hour, but he's, Jesus said it this way. He says, it's kind of like a fig tree. He said, when that fig tree is in blossom, it's, a, just, it's just a literal illustration. He said, when it's in blossom, you know the time's near. He says, understand, understand the times and the seasons. And in Jude, I want to give you a, a last scripture in Jude. Now, just go ahead and go to this one, these two verses. Dear friends, you must build each other up in the most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit? Here's how you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. You come and you say, Holy Spirit, you form my prayer. You form my prayer. I know what I want, but I want, I want you to... To, I want you. I, I want you to pray. I want to pray in your will. I want to pray in your will. I want to pray in your will, and pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Jude is writing the same thing. He's saying, "In this, you will keep yourself in the love of God." He says, "And God keeps us." But he's saying you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have that experience. You're gonna there's gonna be the reality of Christ and His love in your life. Now notice what he says. The imperative that we he says. This is where we're going. This is the last verse. Let's close with it. Cool. And you must show mercy to those who are fa- who whose faith is wavering. Be merciful. You be like Jesus. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others. Notice here, over and over again, show mercy. But do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Go on to the next verse. To him who is able to do what? To keep you. Say this with me. Let's just read this verse together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.